Back to the issue of, um, and he rose again on the third day from the dead. That's what we're talking about. That's what we talked about last week. That's what we'll talk about tonight. Um, let me, we're going to do it a, a little bit a different way tonight than we did last week. Um, and I, I think you'll understand in a minute. But let me just kind of um, prime the pump. I started out last week by telling you that um, according to um, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that the resurrection is not an optional item in terms of our belief system. Uh, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, uh, you believe, if you confess with your mouth and believe that God raised him from the dead, uh, you will be saved. That's, that's almost the quote of Romans 10, 9. This is not a secondary issue. It is a primary issue. It is one that has caused great consternation among uh, Christians. Uh, they worry about the three days and the three nights, and we, <clears throat> we talked about that last week. And I said there are several ways um, that could possibly give you some kind of explanation about that. There's also um, uh, those who are <laughs> get embroiled in a conversation about who raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, primarily the scriptures seem to place that responsibility on God the Father, but there is a statement in Romans 8 about God the Holy Spirit performing that act, and there is even a statement in John 2 when Jesus says, um, uh, I will destroy the temple in three days, I will raise it up. Um, So you see that all three persons, or the Trinity, the resurrection is a Trinitarian act, and actually everything that occurs redemptively is a Trinitarian act. So... Those are things that I hope will not bog you down. They will not distract you. I, I told you last week that there have been a couple of ways that the, that the Christian churches sought to deal with the, um, the ongoing assault of the resurrection. One of those um, has been answered by this apologetical method. We talked about you know, um, um, Josh's book, um, Evidences That Demand a Verdict. Uh, you remember that uh, we talked about the three, the empty tomb, the, um, the appearances, the post-resurrection uh, appearances, and the changed people. That's been one way. That's what we talked about last week. I said there was a second way, that is, um, that it's a Christological approach to the whole subject of the resurrection. Um, that is, you, you've got to weigh what Jesus himself says about the issue. Now, gang, all of this becomes vitally important in the light of Romans 10.9. Because the issue of the resurrection is not an optional issue. And of course, um, in our culture, which, which I mean, this is, this is something that they settled uh, years ago that they explained away by simply saying that Jesus, that science and technology have, have disproved that and that Jesus can only rise in your hearts. Um, but that the event did not occur in space and time. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that's the, that's the, um, the, the, cultural, the culture's definition of the resurrection, whereas the New Testament makes it an absolute essential um, in terms of those things that are included in what you believe about Christianity. Gang, whatever, whatever um, difficulty you may have, I, I can say this very clearly, when the church was born in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when she, the Holy Spirit is poured out, the sermons that are contained 
in the book of Acts, the primary focus of the sermons are on the resurrection. The church was swept away by this event that had occurred, that on the third day, he rose again from the dead. So, it's been the focus of the church ever since she was born. And the church, um, lately, has tried tried to defend it in a couple of different ways, Christologically and apologetically. What I want to do tonight is offer you a third line of argument. And to me... You may not agree, but to me, it is the best line of argument. It simply has to do with taking a look at what the scriptures say about the event. Now, gang, you may not know this, or you may have known it all your life, but there is one particular chapter that focuses on pretty much nothing but the resurrection. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'd like to ask you to turn there. Um, It's not the whole chapter. It's about half of it, maybe a little over half. But the subject of 1 Corinthians 15, undeniably, is Paul's defense of the resurrection. So what I want to do is I want to slowly kind of glide through the text. And if you've never seen this part, I mean, if you've heard all that apologetics from uh, Josh McDowell and all that, and, um, but you've not heard this part, I'm suggesting that this is the place where the battle is won or lost, is in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, it, is the, it is the topic of conversation of this, of this chapter. Paul dedicates pretty much the whole thing, or at least half of it, to the resurrection. So I want you to see it. I want you to see what he does over this subject of resurrection. All right. You got your Bibles or your phones? Uh, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15 because we're, we're going we're gonna to walk slowly through it. All right. Verses 1 and 2, he mentions something about his gospel. It starts in verse 3. Now, stay with me as we kind of See what Paul says and, and, and do this rather rapidly, but we're going to take the rest of the night and concentrate on this passage. Verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, <clears throat> let me show you two things in those two verses. First of all, you will notice that he mentions or makes reference to his death and burial. Nobody denies that there was a Jesus that got himself crucified. The Encyclopedia Britannica, which they used to have, I don't think they even have that anymore, but Josephus, for instance, all historians, Roman, Jewish, English, will agree that there was a religious figure in Palestine that got himself crucified by the Romans. He was, he was killed and buried. But notice, the resurrection in these two verses is placed on the same historical par. 
um, that Christ died, he was buried, and that he was raised. All three of those things are placed on the same footing as a historical event. The, uh, the only one of those three that is rejected by the culture is, of course, the miraculous resurrection. They want to say that the death and the burial are historical, but not that resurrection. But you can't do that with this text. Paul puts them all in, a, in an equal category. He was, he was killed, he was buried, and he resurrected. Now, here's the other thing I want you to see. All of that was done in accordance with the Scriptures. You know, guys, <clears throat> um, to what is Paul referring when he says that? That this was done according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures? Well, that would have to be the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written. He is saying that what took place in a resurrection was predicted in the Old Testament and is in fulfillment of something that had been predicted in the Old Testament. Now, guys, um, let me pause just to say a couple of things about that, because um, in our grace group uh, on Sunday night, this whole issue of the Old Testament came up, and there was a young woman who made an observation, and it was just, it was just really interesting what she said. She had been raised in the Church of Christ, and she started visiting here with her then fiancé. And when she got in here and heard me preaching from the Old Testament, she said, well, why is he doing that? Now, you know about the Andy Stanley uh, movement to unhitch yourself from the Old Testament? And then you've got the Church of Christ saying, we don't need that anymore. We're only going to concentrate on this. But here you find Paul establishing the veracity of the resurrection as something that is in accordance with the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, and he is, he is talking about himself to these two guys who don't recognize him, what does he use? He uses the Old Testament. Um, let me show you something I just read this morning. Um, this is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. It's amazing. Um, Paul says, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. What Scripture? The Old Testament. But even in that statement, ladies and gentlemen, Paul is in essence equating God with the Old Testament. He says it again. Um, in the same in, in chapter um, in Galatians chapter three, um, in verse twenty-two, he uses the same idea, the same notion. Um, <clears throat> he says, "But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin." What's he alluding to? He's alluding to the Old Testament, but he, again, he's equating God and the Scriptures. He does it again in chapter four, verse eight. Um, no, not 8. Uh, verse 30. Chapter 4, verse 30. But what does the Scripture say? In, in the course of a, a chapter and a half, Paul has alluded to the Old Testament Scriptures three times. 
That's what he does in 1 Corinthians 15. That's what Jesus does in Luke 24. Because everything that we're discussing here, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of New Testament truth, is something that has its roots and is to be found in the Old Testament. Jesus rose from the dead in accordance with the Old Testament. You set aside the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen, and you have um, cost yourself volumes of treasure in terms of understanding what God has ultimately accomplished in redemption. Now, let's keep moving. Verses 3 and 4. Now, um, verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Two observations about that. Gang, one of the, the criticisms that's been leveled at the resurrection is that the men who taught it were simply hallucinating. Um, they, were, they were so desirous, they, they hated to see Jesus get killed, and so they hallucinated when they thought they saw him. Well, you can imagine that happening with one person, or maybe even 12. But 500? In a, in a room full of 500 people, Jesus appeared, and what we're being asked to believe is that all 500 of them hallucinated. Now, 500 people in one room don't hallucinate all together at the same time in the same place over the same issue. But the other thing that's interesting about that is that he, it, he inserts this, most of whom are still alive. What is he saying there? He's inviting you to go ask them. Most of them are still alive. There were 500 of them, and most of them are still alive. You want to go check it out? They're right down the street from you. They were there. Some of them are dead, or have died, but they didn't hallucinate, and you can go verify these facts with them yourself because, you see, they're still alive. Keep going. Um, in verses 7, 8, 9, uh, well, no, 7 through, the, um, through 11, he's defending his own apostleship, but then he returns to the subject in verse 12. Here we go, guys. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Gang, that's very 21st century-like. How can you say... What, 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 they're, what, what they're doing here is a denial of resurrection in general. What, what he's addressing is the notion resurrections just don't happen. Um... There's no such thing as resurrection. And Paul says, okay, wait a minute. What you're saying is, if there's no resurrection, then Christ, um, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, and you say there's no such thing, oh, do we have a headlong conflict between the, us, between our culture and, and what the New Testament teaches. Yeah. Keep reading. But if there's no resurrection from the dead then not even Christ has been raised. If there's no such thing as resurrection, then Christ was not raised. Do you see how he's trying to overturn that? The very notion is unthinkable to Paul. The idea that 
there's no such thing as a resurrection. Because if that's true, then even Jesus isn't resurrected from the dead. And we all know that he did. And by the way, he does that in verse 16 as well. Um, Not even Christ has been raised. And then he comes to verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. The whole message, ladies and gentlemen, do you see it? The whole Christian message stands or falls on whether or not Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. If he did not resurrect from the dead, don't come back here next Sunday. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Don't be trekking over here. That's, this, this whole thing is vanity. If Christ did not rise from the dead. Let me say that for later. Um, <clears throat> um, then our preach is in vain, and your faith is in vain. You're a bunch of pathetic weasels that you've got this silly faith in whatever. If Christ be not raised from the dead. Keep reading. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. That is, we're a pack of liars. Um, Because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Do you see that logic, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see the claims of the New Testament? Gang, um, I also tweaked my back. Um, Where's my wife? Um, She's here. Mm. Um, (laughs) You know, um, Susie's mother uh, played in a bridge club, and I should probably stop there. Um, But the ladies would sit around in the bridge club, and they they would talk about how how bad things had gotten with their grandchildren and, you know, and things have really kind of gone to, you know, hell in a handbasket and yada, 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 yada. And then, and then somebody at the table, after hearing that their daughter had just moved in with a boyfriend or, or whatever, somebody would say, well, you know, times have changed. You know, you just, and I guess the implication is just, you know, you need to get. Now, here's my point. If you're here tonight and you're saying, well, you know, yeah, back in the 50s, right after World War II, people believed in this kind of stuff. But, I mean, we don't do that anymore. We don't believe in that kind of stuff because, you know, times have changed. And, and as, um, as, as science has intervened, you know, it's just made it impossible to believe in some of these things gang to you i i i would read this again if that if you're right then i'm a liar forget me think about the apostle paul because we testified that god about god that he raised christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Okay, um, you, you don't think that 
science and technology will allow you to believe this anymore. Well, Paul's a liar, and the Christian church has been teaching ever since she was born that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. But, you know, he didn't do that. That's his argument. Keep reading. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. We've already seen that in verse 13. But here's the real key, and it's in verse 17, folks. And if Christ has not been raised, (coughs) your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. There's a lot at stake in there. I mean, if Oprah Winfrey's right, we're still in our sins, according to Paul. And you can choose Oprah to be your source of authority, or you can choose the Apostle Paul. Now, guys, why am I still in my sins if Jesus be not raised from the dead? Let, let, me, let me try to address that. Why, why would that be one of the... Well, if, if you can find Romans 1 real fast... Um, this is Romans 1.4. Uh, it's talking about Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now, gang, if I can just remove a couple of those prepositional phrases for you. He was declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Folks, it is the resurrection that proved who Jesus was. The resurrection declared him to be the Son of God. Now, now flip over to chapter 4 of the book of Romans. And this is pretty huge, folks. Um, Romans chapter 4, let me begin reading at verse 23. Um, but the words it was counted to him were written for his sake alone, but for ours also it will be accounted to us. Here we go. Who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our, trans- our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, gang, concentrate on the last half of that verse 25. He was delivered up for our, trans, our, our trespasses. <clears throat> okay, do you know what took place on the cross, ladies and gentlemen? There's a couple of things. One of the things that took place on the cross is that your sin was paid for. Your sin was punished in Christ. That's what that means. He was delivered up for our trespasses. He was delivered up to pay a price for your sin. And... He died as a payment. But he was raised for our justification. Do you get that? Do you theologically understand what Paul just said? Gang, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he declares us to be righteous based on the merits of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Did you get all that? Justification is an act, not a process. 
It's an act of God's free grace by which God, acting as a judge, declares the guilty to be forgiven based on the merits and the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. On what basis does God justify you? Don't ever say it's your faith. He does not justify you on the basis of faith. He justifies you on the basis of the merits of Jesus Christ on your behalf. The grounds of our justification is the finished work of Jesus Christ. I said finished work. Notice. He was raised. If he was not raised, there is no finished work. And if there is no finished work, there is no justification, which means you are still in your sins. You can remove it if you like. And you can say, Oh, forsooth and anon, things have changed. Not according to the New Testament. Paul goes out of his way to show you all that is at stake on this thing that we think we can take or leave. No, we can't. Now, one other thing I want to show you, because we're going to come back to this next week. We're going to spend a third week on the resurrection. Um, But this is in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Guys, I I read that poorly. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, ladies and gentlemen, what I I want to do next week is that I want to talk to you about how the resurrection is a game changer. But not just for your eternities. It's a game changer now. And for you to reject it is uh, leaving you out in the cold. But we'll talk about that more next week. Guys, um, what we have today is is somewhat of a a hybrid approach that that I would suggest, or or I I call it the Oprah effect. Uh, I said this, and... um, and I, I hope I'm not misunderstood. I'm not trying to... Um, I've said this, and I've been rebuked for it, and I'm about to say it again. She's the most dangerous woman in America. She's brilliant. She's talented, gifted. But the reason that I say that she is the, the most dangerous woman in America... 
is because she is, maybe she's not the direct author, but she certainly is the promoter of this notion. The notion is, I am spiritual, though I am not religious. You've heard that before. Oh, that's the rage. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I can have all of these spiritual things, while at the same time, I can divorce them from the realm of history or fact. They don't have to be facts for me. Because you see, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious. Folks, I I hope you can see what a fool's errand that, that notion is. The only position, um, the only Christian position, the only position allowed and enforced by the Scriptures themselves, as I hope you've seen at least a portion of, is that Jesus finished his work by being raised physically, bodily, literally, It was a man in a grave who walked out of the grave. Having done so, the work is completed, the Father has accepted the payment, and he has become now the grounds of our justification. The grounds on which God can say, I know that he's guilty, Jimmy Young is guilty, But based on the merits of Christ on his behalf, I declare him mine. Folks, don't kid yourself. You cannot have that. That is not yours. Stop talking about your forgiveness and sin. Stop talking about um, uh, eternity. Because all of this whole message is balderdash. I'm a liar. We are to be pitied as a people because we've committed some kind of intellectual suicide. All of that is true if Jesus Christ be not resurrected from the dead. Close by reading you this one more time. This is Paul's statement in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You subtract half of that from that sentence, and you will be damned. Let's quit. Our Father, would you, would you enable your people to see the extremes to which your word goes to try and defend this this literal, bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. That um, 
that Christ's resurrection is not um, a small thing, it's an enormous thing. It lies at the very center and at the heart of the Christian message. And if he didn't, then there is no basis on which you can justify guilty people like me, like us, and we are still in our sins. Oh God, um, so many of us in this room are so glad that you raised him from the dead. Uh, A statement to us that his payment on the cross for our sin was acceptable to you. And that every debt that I created by my sin has been paid for by the finished work of Christ. Father, might your people find themselves better prepared not to defend the doctrine, but better prepared to live and to face eternity knowing that Jesus Christ is only the first fruits of, um, of the resurrection and that because we are in union with him, we are identified not only with his past, but we are also identified with his future. That not only are we is our sin paid for, but awaiting us is a resurrection as well. Would you help us um, become more and more conversant, more and more comfortable with the idea that though life continues to throw us curveballs, there is something that awaits us that is going to make all of the troubles of this life look like one night in a bad hotel. Would you prepare us for our eternity by reminding us of what's already been accomplished on our behalf? And we ask all of this, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. There's some dessert, I think, that awaits you, so uh, have at it and uh, enjoy.